I'm going to talk to you about what I've been meditating with God about and what he's been talking to me about as I hold things before him. Because there is something in my life that is extremely important to me. And in some of the situations that have come up recently, it causes me to evaluate. And I'll explain that more soon. But relationships are super important in my life. They just are. And it wasn't always that way. As a child growing up, we were really pretty separate and solitary as a family. That family was my dad, my mother, who was ill, and myself. We traveled in a certain denominational circle that, as we took various pastorships and stuff, they really taught their pastors not to have relationships with the people because you need to hold yourself separate. You need to hold yourself, you know, make sure that you're above. And it never really rang true where dad was concerned, but it takes, how many know, it takes time to work through what you're trained to do versus what you feel like God is saying and find that balance that says, is it something that just doesn't feel right to me or is this something God's saying you need to fix it? Well, he needed to fix it. And as time went on, we did. We began to fix it. But there's also something, for those of you who have ever had a physical or mental illness in your family, there's something very lonely about that. (laughs) Despite everyone's best intentions, they just don't know what to do with you. They don't know if it's okay to invite you to something because what if it's a problem or what if you feel uncomfortable because there's physical limitations. And so what do you do? And then as a young adult moving on in life, I was introduced to a group of people who were a church doing it different. My goodness, they were living life together. They specified relationships that that was the first thing. We want to be relationship first and then everything else we are second. And I really loved it. And even though, sure, down the road, things got a little wonky in some ways. I mean, we're people, right? Things get wonky. I never lost it, that knowledge that this is what God expects of us. This is what God did with community when he put us together. I mean, after all, he created us for community for him. He didn't need us. He wanted us. He wanted to live life with us. And he wants us to do that together as well. And we do it really well here. (laughs) No question about that. A few years later, when we were approaching time for my mom's passing, didn't know it at the time. I didn't. Dad did. He wasn't sharing that piece of information, and I'm kind of glad he didn't. But I, um, we got into some relationships that were so special for her. They were people that they didn't care One iota, if she had a wheelchair or had problems going on, it was like, girl, you're coming with us. We're sticking the wheelchair in the car, and you're just going to have to deal with it. And that was perfect. That was wonderful. She developed friendships there that she had never had before, and that was in Tucson. And um, to the point that when she passed away in Tucson, even though all of her family is from the Oklahoma area, Arkansas area, She's buried in Tucson because that's where she wanted to be, in the shadow of the mountains. And 
now the relationships that I have here are incredible. And the relationships that we have as a church body, for those who wish to have it. I mean, there are, there are those of us who, who choose not to, and that's okay. We don't force anything on anyone. But what I've been talking about, that with certain examples that have come up in my life over the last about three to four weeks, I've said, Lord, why is it that some don't want this? Put personality aside. Why is it? And is there a way we can help? And in a roundabout way, we'll kind of get there. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. And he started, you know, how many know he kind of talks to you, excuse me, out of the things that you've been studying, the things that you've been meditating with with him. And he brings back things to mind that will assist you in, in figuring out what's really burdening your heart or your mind. And he reminded me, for those of you who remember a few weeks ago, I spoke, it may have even been months now, and I, I had some emphasis on what an orphan heart is. And I, I won't go into detail, that is available online if you want it, but I'll just mention overview here that our feelings and our emotions, the things that we feel and the behaviors and the reactions we have to things are a really great indicator to, to knowing how seriously deep in your heart, how much you feel like you're a son of God and really believe that, or if you believe you're just sort of an orphan and not really what he calls us as sons. And that when he is referring to us as sons, he's calling us the original term for that was weos in the Bible, which means a mature son, somebody who has been trained, who's been born into the family, and we get to carry his name. He, we walk in Jesus' name through our life, and that we literally have his DNA in us. It's not just a signed piece of adoption paper. And he reminded me, you know, when you go back into Romans eight fourteen through 18, it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, we us. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, and that Abba is Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So for those of us who are having difficulty, and often it's trust that gets involved when you're somebody that wants to hold yourself separate from developing deep relationships where somebody kind of knows me. They know, they know my triggers. They know what's going to make me angry. They know what's going to make me sad. They know what's going to make me happy. And I don't trust that because they could manipulate me. Well, there's an emptiness there because he developed us and created us for a community, right? So there's a void. And sometimes those voids come for a reason. It's things that we've been taught. It's the experiences that we've had. Sometimes not so much. I was chatting with a friend of mine this last Sunday, and she reminded me, I think I've heard this a long time ago, but I sure didn't remember it well. How many have ever heard of the five monkey experiment? For those who haven't, and for those who have, it'll be an overview. 
This is an experiment that, that has been done more than once. But what happens is they take five monkeys and they place them in a room or in a, in a cage. And in the center of that room, they place a ladder. And at the top of the ladder, they hang bananas. Yeah. So it's not very long after they're all eyeing those bananas that one of those monkeys decides, hey, I'm going up those stairs. I'm going to get some of those. As soon as that monkey starts to try to do that, all the other four monkeys get sprayed with cold water. And they go after that monkey and get him back down there fast. A little bit of time goes by, and one of the other monkeys decides, you know what? They all got sprayed. He didn't. I'm going after that banana. And he tries to go. All the other four monkeys get sprayed, and they pull him back down. And this continues until no monkey is going after that banana anymore. They're there, but they don't even pay attention to them anymore. Then they decide they pull one of the five monkeys away and put in a brand new one. Oh, there's bananas up there, this brand new one thinks. Starts to go up the ladder. There's no water anymore, but those other four monkeys make, get him, grab him, pull him down, and let him know right now, that's not what you do in this place. You don't do that. Oh. They take another one of the original monkeys out, put another one in. He goes after the bananas. Not only the monkeys who have been sprayed before make sure he doesn't go up that ladder, but the one who never was sprayed and never saw anybody get sprayed, they joins right in and pulls them down. Why? They keep doing this until there's five monkeys in that room that have never been sprayed with water, never seen anyone sprayed with water, but they will not go up after those bananas or let anyone else go up after those bananas. They didn't have that experience. This can go both good ways and bad. And this person in talking about this, she said, in my heart, I look at my kids and I think, what have I conditioned them to? That really wasn't from God. It was just because it was a reaction to something that happened to me. And I sat there for a minute, and I said, you will not believe what God's been talking to me about lately? Can I use that? <laughs> because I, I put a funny title to this, not my circus, not my monkeys, but it really is. If we're going to be in relationship, my choice is that it is my circus, and it is my monkeys, and I'm going to be the one that changes it. I'll be the monkey that makes sure things change. I'm going to be talking to God about why is it, when he brings things to my mind, why do I feel this way? What do I do? Am, am I projecting something that happened to me onto my friends and now they're feeling certain ways and there's really no reason for it? I want to know, God, I want to know. And some would look at this and say, yep, that experiment proves it. I just need to stay away. Hanging around others just doesn't help anything. If it had just been me, I could have had the banana. We talk a lot about freedom here. And, again, 
There's a whole series on our website and various sermons about that. If you have not heard them before, I suggest that you do because they are awesome. And when we look at freedom and we want to make sure we define it right, it's not a case of I'm free from this room. I'm free from these bars. I'm free from these chains. It's not about a problem that we're getting away from. And that's where our thinking gets a little twisted. I know mine does. For instance, think about it this way. Uh, You're a psychiatrist or a counselor in your office. And people walk in and typically they're going to say, okay, I'm here because I can't control my anger. I'm here because I don't trust people. I'm here because I don't want to be around other people. I'm here because I'm addicted. So that's my problem. Help me fix it. It sounds reasonable when you look at it. It's like, okay, well, good. Now we know where to start. But here's the thing. Those aren't actually problems. What they're talking about are symptoms. Again, it's the bad definitions. It's the symptom. It's a solution, not a problem. A little confusing there, but think about it this way. Let's use the addiction part as an example. That's something that most of us are familiar with, either within ourselves or someone in our families. The substance or the behavior that's involved in that addiction is almost never the problem. It's the solution that someone's trying to use. The problem actually usually is rooted in pain. The pain itself is the problem here. And the substance or the behavior is a really bad solution, an attempt to fix it. And if you start out like that and you've already defined the problem wrongly, then everything that you do just makes things worse. All of the solutions that you try to put into place makes things worse. Because remember, and we say this a lot, freedom is not the absence of something. It's not getting rid of something, but it's the presence of someone. When you're thinking about the things you need to get rid of, that's the mindset of somebody who's still a prisoner who's not free. If you're in a mindset of somebody who is free or on their way to being free, you're thinking about what's possible. Boy, get that in your spirit. Remember when Pastor was talking about the hope and what that really means. It's that expectation like that kid at Christmas just oh, in anticipation of what's about to happen. What's possible? This next part could sting a little bit, and I'm sorry about that, but I'm really not sorry about that. But the thing is, we often need freedom from ourselves in these situations. I need freedom from me. You need freedom from you. Because my fear is that the church, the identity crisis that we see in so many people in the church has come because we really haven't taught salvation. It's, in a lot of cases, it's more of an ideology. It's an ideal. It's something we think about. Just think about this. 
In most church services, if there is a call for salvation and an invitation to be born again, most of the time, here's, here's what you'll hear. Do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to give him your whole life? Do you want to follow him with your whole heart? Sounds awesome, and it is. But you could say that language and never actually be saved. Relax, it's okay. (laughs) Think about it this way. Following is something you do. Committing is something you do. Deciding to follow an ideology does not transform your essential nature. That's the sting. Because salvation, true salvation, is a substitution of Jesus' life for the life that's inside of you before it ever happened. It's not something you can do, but it is something you can receive. So I hope everybody followed that. I'm not saying that nobody's saved. I'm not saying you can't be saved. I'm saying, was there a life change? And oftentimes when I'm talking with people who are having serious problems in their life or even brushing over problems that are pretty serious, and they start thinking, speaking their thinking over it, I want to ask, wait a minute, when was the transformation in your life? Can you point me back to when things became different for you? Is that something you're able to do? Can you point back to it? And not in a case of shame and, you know, putting condemnation on somebody. It's not about that. It's about, hey, you're not trying to commit to be a better you, That's not what this is about. You are being saved from being you. There's a guy um, I know who, not a part of this congregation, or has been, by the way, but he's a computer guy. His entire career has been spent working on computers and programming, building things, creating things. In his personal life, He was struggling for a long time, struggling very, very hard. And he had addictions and behaviors that he just wasn't getting taken care of. You hear that language right there? He wasn't getting taken care of. And finally, one day, he was so frustrated, and he said this, it's like, I don't need to be programmed. I need to take out my motherboard and put in a new one. Yes, yes. That's it. (laughs) You got it. That's it exactly. Romans 6, 6 through 8. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We need to die to who we are. Let him bury that be rid of it, and be raised up again with him inside of us. That is salvation. And guys, that's freedom. The onus isn't on us. 
We don't have to do specific things. Yes, there's decisions we need to make and choices we make in this. But he is the one. I can't make it happen. It's up to him. So here it is. Why this ties into this community thing and into this relationship, for me at least. When we are working so hard to protect ourselves and to figure out why we feel empty and dead inside, looking to fill it up, sometimes we're trying to just project who we think we should be because we're afraid for people to see who we're afraid we are. And our mind and our will and our emotions, our soul, those three things, those three things end up kind of getting braided and knotted around ourselves like a barrier. And we protect ourselves in so many ways, and it comes out in things like depression, anxiety, addiction. Yes, there are physical components to all of those things. Yes, there are spiritual components to all of those things. And again, I know that I've taught on that stuff at a deeper level. It's all available, or we can have some conversations. But when Jesus actually takes up residence inside of us, when we actually experience salvation, we give him permission to begin untying some of those knots. And we begin to see that those problems that we have, we don't struggle with those because there's something bad about us. We actually struggle with them because there's something good about us that's been turned against us. Everything that we struggle with was created by God, not the devil. How do I know that? Because it tells us very clearly in the Bible that the devil has no creativity at all. God's the only one who can create. And he definitely knows how to manipulate and how to clone things. But So if that's the case, and he's good, then that was something that was meant to be good for us that has been manipulated and twisted and we've believed lies to the point that now it's working against us in some way. So that kind of puts a different frame of reference around things. It says every single problem you have in your life then comes from God and may have just been hijacked by the devil. And I'm not, I'm not trying to glorify him in any way, shape, or form because, in my opinion, most of the time, we open those doors if he's moving around and messing with anything because he has no business being a part of our lives if we make sure he doesn't. And there are times that we open the doors to things and don't even realize it. That's all right. God can take care of that. But I'll tell you what, he's going to tie some knots. He's been on the knee for a while, and I'm afraid a lot more coming. No, I anticipate with hope that there's a lot more coming because it's good stuff. So what does this have to do with relationships? And you picture a person who is that tied up and having that much difficulty being okay with inviting a close relationship into their life, knowing that this person is, is walking with God, knowing that this person might see something they don't want them to see, thinking that this person might think 
deal with them in some way or another. That makes you put up some walls. When he designed us for community and relationship, I love how Romans 12 talks about this. It's uh, Romans 12, 3 through 6. I'm going to read it from message because it just says it's so down to earth. You just can't interpret this. A little bit lengthy, but stick with me on it. Paul is saying this. I am speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. See, it is my circus and my monkeys. I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate understanding of ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. In this way, we are like the various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. So we don't get to just be in the room by ourselves, do we? One after the bananas. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount much, would we? Anybody else watch crime scene shows? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellent, formed, marvelously functioning parts of Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying something we aren't. Verses 9 and 10 go on to say, Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil and hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply and practice playing second fiddle. Pretty basic, right? It just lays it out there. To be truly who you are and created to be, you must come together as a Be a committee. Wow. There's a good we, we like to call ourselves the clan half the time, but I sent out a, a message yesterday asking for permission to talk about this a little bit, and I'm going to do it fairly generally. But... Um, Towards the last year sometime, a lot of us girls got a text kind of out of the blue that said, we can we emergency meeting. Okay, that doesn't happen very often. We get together a lot, but emergency meeting, what's happening? And so, sure, some of us moved some things around, some of us did whatever. We showed up to the meeting to find out what was going on. And two people had been talking and saying that things at their homes had been getting to a case of serious just overwhelm. Sometimes it was things to do with relationships. Sometimes it was things to do with the cleanliness of the house or the cluttered closets. Or it could be of any number of things, but they were overwhelmed. And it was to the point of, I don't even know where to start. And they asked us, they said, what if, as a group, we make a schedule and we make a plan that all of us get together once a month and help one of the people overcome these overwhelming things that are going on. But before we do that, let's spend the next month or so. We were coming into Christmas holidays. We knew there's no way we were going to get that kind of work done. Let's talk about why we are we are in these situations. Let's not just fix it. Let's make sure we don't get there. 
brilliant. I was so amazed in ways that they were brilliant. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> I was just like, oh, this is awesome. This is excellent. Because it's not just I need help, but it's I'm going to put my elbow grease in on your problem. And I'm using, this is a term my dad uses that I love, the currency of relationship. I'm going to invest in you, expecting a return back that you're going to invest in me. And we all went a month, month and a half or so and got back together. And it was amazing. The conversation took place. that God had an each individual concerning what had brought them there. And it was different for everyone. If the situation was the same, the problem was the same, that heart situation, that thing that may have caused them to believe something wrong or to make a vow in their heart towards something, God brought it to them every single time. And we started working on it. We made a schedule. We haven't got everything else done yet. There's different things that have been done, but most of them. One thing I've noticed, no longer waiting for each other's day. We're energized by the fact that things are going on around us and we're doing it ourselves anyway in some ways. And we may not be getting all the big stuff done, but we're making inroads. And because that investment returns, he, remember in, uh, I can't pull it ahead, but he tells us when it comes to tithe, test him. That generosity that comes in your wallet works in many other areas of your life too. That generosity, that relationship, that investment comes back in return. I know I've seen it, and I never want to live my life differently. When we lost my mom back in the day, I can't imagine what it would have been like if we hadn't had that group of people around us. They did things like, I mean, she was in hospice, so she was at home, and we had created a wonderful atmosphere for her in the master bedroom and bathroom suite back there. People would come and go as needed. They would just walk in the front door because they had keys already before all this happened and go look, okay, they're out of laundry detergent. Oop, the toilet paper's low. And they'd go get it and bring it back. It's like it never happened. We never saw it. They'd make a clean house. Those little things that life has to go on in the midst of times when you feel like it should stop, they were fixing those things for us. Relationship. And I have had so many opportunities to be that first, and there's no greater joy than to your life down for years. And so it was causing to ask God, why did some of these things happen this way? Why did they not have this? How can we fix it for others? It comes to knowing who we are. It comes to identity Christ. That says, I know that I know that I know that the God within me will, will be great. And if I can dare to trust, if I can test him in this, return void. You'll have more love and more relationships than you know what to do with. And you'll turn and realize that you've got to now extend out to others who are struggling in that area when they're ready for it. And there are people that I'm saying, God, when they're ready, I'm ready. And if they're not, that's okay. But when they're ready, I'm ready. I feel like this is something that we just need to kind of settle and mull and think about. Once we're done here, if you guys just want to play a little something in that, that's great. And if not, no worries. Um, 
I'm going to say prayer, and if you want prayer, it's always open. We make that happen. But I don't feel a big push here to make a huge statement. I do feel like our assignment is to walk away from here and say, Lord, A, are there places in me that have those knots tied up around them that you tie on right now? We're going to trust a little bit more to let you tie them. And the people around me, who do I know I'm just living life? It doesn't have to be a huge spiritual conversation every time you get together. Sometimes it turns out to be regardless of the reason you got together. Okay. But you can get together and have coffee. You can go do things you enjoy doing together. If you like to go geeking, if you like to go golfing. Just hang out. And sometimes when you've just got stuff you've got to do around your house, I'm over to do it with you or just keep entertaining what you're doing. It can be very simple. Just letting And those are the most relationship-changing, heart-changing times that he can give you. In my life, some of the most dynamic times that shifts thing inside of me are so simple. We don't have to put as much pressure on ourselves as we do. But we do need to choose trust. We do need to examine our feelings and ask God why it is that we have those. Because he, he gave us feelings for a reason. They're a great indicator. Not wrong to feel your feelings. How you handle that, you've got to watch out. <laughs> but you should be assessing those and asking God, is there something you talk to me about in this? Father, as we go about our week, we'll continue to lift up those that have lost relatives close to them. We continue to wait expectantly for open doors in those around us and those that you bring us in contact with. And we're ready, Father. I am. If you have someone you need me to speak to, impress it upon me. There's more in my life that you're ready to untie. Let's do it. Speak to me. I'm listening. I'm waiting in expectant hope for what you have coming, Lord. Go with us this week. Was to remember that when we walk out these doors, we are entering the mission that is in our life. And that everywhere you take us, we take you. Schools start in our this week, Father. We got together as a group of churches over the last week or so and walked those school grounds and laid claim to those areas because where our feet go, you go. For every teacher and every staff member in those areas that carry you through those doors every week, give them opportunity, Lord, for every student that carries you in those doors. You are in our schools because we are in our schools, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Fear is a liar. He will take your breath, stop you.